Accessing library computer data. Level 9 authorization required. Command codes verified. Welcome to Moms Going Boldly, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Moms Going Boldly is two moms who love Star Trek and who also happen to have children on the autism spectrum. We talk about the new Star Trek Discovery TV series, as well as any autism issues we see along the way. I am your host, Elizabeth, and with me is my co-host, Vicki. Hi, I'm Vicki. We are Moms Going Boldly. And welcome back to Moms Going Boldly. We have just finished our brief, short, mid-season break, and we're ready to talk about Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 8, All In. Vicki, what did you think of this episode? Well, some parts of it I liked, some I didn't. Okay. I did like that OO had a greater presence than she usually has, and I did like that whole relationship. I really wish they'd stop making Burnham the savior of all things. (laughs) And I do admit coming into this episode with a bad attitude because I knew we'd be dealing with the book Troy soap opera, and we did, (laughs) and I'm still tired of it. I liked it. I really actually really liked it a lot because uh, the soap opera was actually, it was there, but downplayed. I was really glad about that. And I agree. I loved the greater presence of Owo. And and actually Owo was the savior here. So I was kind of like, that's cool. Uh, In a way. I mean, you know, she was one of the saviors. Right. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So I I thought, you know, without her, they wouldn't have been able to move forward. And so I thought that was really cool. And I was glad that she had such a big part in that. I guess we're supposed to hate Tarka, and it's working. Yes, it definitely is working. Because I just like, oh, I don't like any moment that he's on the screen. And I realize, you know, and I'm supposed to, I guess we're supposed to also not trust him. I do not trust this man at all. Oh, no. I think everything he says is a lie. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Which makes, you know, his interactions with Book uncomfortable. I think his interaction with Owo was probably the only real truthful moment. Yes, and she had a lot of insight into what was going on with him. Yeah. And you could see he got very uncomfortable with it. You're getting boring. I'm leaving. I'm right. like, bing, and you hit it, girl. <laughs> but you know what? I was kind of surprised. I think it did not occur to me at the time. It didn't occur to me that they stole the spore drive prototype. I think I thought that Tarka built that. Mm. And maybe it did occur to me, and I just don't remember, because that was a month ago. Yeah. And maybe it did occur to me, but I don't remember that. So I was kind of surprised. And like I said, I, I thought at the time Tarka had made that as well. And that just makes what Book did even worse to me. I agree. I was already angry with him for potentially starting a war. But now he stole their only prototype of the spore drive. Yes. And number two, he's the only other person who could run the spore drive other than Stamet. So he's putting them at a giant disadvantage. Agreed. Agreed. And I suppose maybe they're setting him up for this character arc where he's trying to save the universe and he ends up destroying it. You know what I'm saying? He's, he's trying to save billions of lives and he ends up right being the, the cause of losing billions of lives right which is, you know. and yeah exactly because it's actually in my notes that i don't see any way that book can recover from this at all unless he finds out what tarka's real end game is and stops it thereby redeeming himself will that redeem himself though because he participated yeah 
And so the but, only you know that would be sort of like <laughs> you and I both love D Space Nine. Yes. And one of the plot things that is always used is is that Quark starts something that's going to lead to a disaster, and then he's able to save the day so that they still keep him on and let him stick around. True. True. There's several episodes like that. Now this is bigger than you know what Quark usually does, but they have that sort of plot line in place with other characters, so I can see them doing that again. Yeah. It would have to be something really big that Book does to save the day in order to redeem himself. Oh, absolutely. Or we're going to find out that this is some convoluted plan from the beginning, but that's a little out there. Well, yeah. So let's talk about this in a little bit more detail. We start this episode exactly where we end the last episode. Book and Tarka had stolen the prototype spore drive and left after the Federation Council or the Federation whomever has decided, no, we're not going to go track these guys down and use a a weapon on them. We're going to try first contact. And so, you know, we have a very angry president Mm -hmm. and a very frustrated admiral and a very frustrated captain trying to figure out what happened, did they know about it, and why didn't they know about it? So they know they have to get this isolinium, which is a component of the isolytic reaction necessary for the weapon. And isolytic reactions have been banned by the Kittimer Accords. And so they have to get it from black market locations. But the president tells Burnham she is not allowed to go do it. She can't use her courier contacts to go check this out and track them down because she's too close to this because she and Book are lovers. Right. And so that's her order. She is going to go figure out how to make first contact with Species 10C who sent the DMA that destroyed Quajon, that made Book crazy with grief, that caused Tarka to propose his weapon as an excuse to find an energy source to get him to another universe to be with his friend. Did I get all that? Yep. (laughs) You did. Anyway, Burnham goes back to the ship and Admiral Vance shows up and he's really stressed because he trusted Tarka and he believed in Tarka and he just brought his family back and he just want to send him away again because Tarka's going to go make war on a species that is so powerful they can send a black hole into their universe and suck up planets. Right. So he essentially says, you're ordered to go find book within the parameters of your orders from the president. Yeah, and this situation is just wacky. We have the president using her a few episodes back, knowing that if she went to this meeting, she wouldn't keep her mouth shut, which is exactly what she was planning. (laughs) And now we have Vance telling her to pretty much go against her orders. No, not go against her orders. Follow her orders. But if she happens to figure out how to find both at the same time, yay, and that's an order too. Right. This whole federation (laughs) is a mess. Yeah, in a way, yeah. yeah. It certainly is more political and less straightforward than we've seen in the past with the Federation. Or is it? Let's examine that, just for the sake of argument. Certainly in the original series, we didn't actually see a whole lot of politics in the Federation, did we? No, I I don't recall really seeing the Federation at all. I mean, it wasn't even the Federation in the early episodes, because they were still trying to find their footing with that. You know, it was like the United Space something for a while, and... So they kind of landed on the Federation. We actually, well, in Journey to Babel, we did see some politics. We had the conflicts between species, but it really wasn't Federation politics. It was more just interspecies conflicts. Right. And then how about in The Next Generation? We see any real politics there? Well, you know, with the treaties and yeah. that kind of stuff. Yes. But this all seems underhanded. They all yeah. seem to be playing their own game. And they all go to Burnham like she's going to be the answer to everything they need to be done. 
We had problems with Picard in that, who was she, an admiral, you know, with the Cardassian treaties. Oh, right, Necheyev, Admiral Necheyev. Yeah, that was, it was politics, but it wasn't underhanded. He knew what he had to do. She knew he didn't want to do that, but he was going to do it anyway, because that's what he has to do. Yeah, I, I don't recall seeing politics like this. Well, I have to tell you, though, in a way, with that example that you just gave, with Picard so going against Admiral Nateyev, we had essentially a story where individual looking at their own moral and ethical values is saying this violates these values and these values that I've embraced, so therefore I'm going to go against this order. And that could have easily been what happens here, but I was really grateful it didn't. As a matter of fact, I, I actually said out loud, as the very beginning here, oh, please, oh, please, oh, please don't go rogue, don't go rogue. To Burnham at the very beginning because I thought that she was going to go rogue. Right, because that's what we expect her to do because she's done that's it so many she's times. That's what she's done, yeah. right. And that also is not aligned in the, with the values of the Federation. And though it is very typical of, you know, original series. I mean, Kirk went rogue all the time. He did, yeah. And that was a, a valuable characteristic in him. And Picard went rogue when his ethics and values demanded it as did Janeway and Cisco. Let's see. I have only seen Enterprise a couple of times. Did we see a lot of well, rogue there? There was a lot of rogue because there were, weren't really any rules at that point. Yeah, that's you know, a good point. They didn't have the prime directive. They didn't even have the federation. So, he did but I think the reason that I get uncomfortable with Burnham going rogue is because it seems to be not consistent with her Vulcan upbringing. But maybe I'm just not thinking that through. See, you you always mention her Vulcan upbringing, but at this point, I forget about her Vulcan upbringing because I haven't seen any of it. Yeah. I haven't seen it. Which is an inconsistency that bothers me. Anyway, I was so grateful when Abel Rats came in in order to do it so that she didn't have to go rogue. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Meanwhile, we've got Book and Tarka who have run away and now they're kind of figuring out what their next step is. And the next step is to get this isolinium. And Book is actually frustrated because Tarka didn't tell him this. Right. And that's how I think Tarka's going to be. There's always going to be another goalpost. Tarka's going to keep moving the goalpost on Book because of his whatever his agenda is that Book doesn't know about. I think that's just going to be the process there. So Book's buying into this. He's all in so far on this course that he has laid with Tarka. So they decide to go to this other place to get the isolinium that Starfleet isn't going to think about getting. And that's true because they identified four places that it's possible. And this is the fifth place that only Book and Michael know about. And it's the um, Karma Barge. Is that the name of the place? Yes. (laughs) Kind of fun. So Burnham takes Owo to go to this planet Parathia on which there's this Karma Barge, which is essentially a big old floating ship that has a casino and other nefarious behavior and activities on it. And But that's exactly where Book and Targa are. And I will say, one of the things that really was a pleasant surprise for me is that Book and Tarka arrived there first. They're negotiating for the Isolinium. The black marketer who is going to give them the Isolinium What was his name again? Haas. Haas, thank you. Haas is like, well, you're going to need more than that. So they have to figure out a way to get more money, platinum. 
then Burnham and Owo show up and they come into contact with Book and Tarka and there's no conflict really. I mean the conflict is there as a foundational thing you guys did this and you're in trouble but there's no anger no conflict and I kind of really appreciated that. That's where I think that whole, the whole you know sort of love triangle soap opera stuff could have gotten really bad and I was really glad it didn't. And then when Burnham comes up she wants star charts for this area of space so they can find it. Oh, and I should probably explain that one of the things that they discovered before she left was they did find the area of space where the species 10C is from outside the galactic barrier. Mm -hmm. And this species apparently lives within some kind of, it was almost like a Dyson sphere except made of energy. And in order to you know feed that energy, they were actually using the dark matter anomaly to mine some fancy mineral Mm -hmm. or something boronite was that it i don't remember i don't remember either they were essentially sending the dma to mine for this element that they needed in order to power their force field dyson sphere Mm -hmm. it was really interesting to me one of the things was if this is what they use for their you know living space imagine what their weapons are like if this is their mining device imagine what their weapons are like and i'm thinking why do you assume they have weapons right they could be peaceful people who are just mining because they need the energy source right So that was kind of like, okay, you know, why are you assuming that? But we'll just go with that. So anyway, they needed star charts for this area of space before they could go make first contact. And so that's why she was there. She got that from Haas. But then she also said, well, if they're here to buy the isolinium, we want to buy it out from under them. Mm -hmm. And so now you have essentially a story where you have two competing forces trying to get enough latinum to buy the isolinium. We're going to pause right here for a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, Doug Gramley here from Yeah, That Can't Be Good. Doug here from the 13th Warehouse. If you are a fan of Eureka, please join Kim, Vicky, Skip, and myself over at Yeah, That Can't Be Good for an episode-by-episode podcast of all things Eureka at EurekaRewatch.com. If you're a fan of Warehouse 13, please join Kim and Vicky over at the 13th Warehouse at the13thwarehouse.com. You can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us on Twitter at Eureka Warehouse. And we're back. Book and Tarka have agreed to try to stop somebody who's cheating in the casino, somebody who's counting cards or figuring out a way around the games to cheat. So they're going to find the cheater. And Owo and Burnham have to get more Latinum, and they decide to do it in the ring that exists where people can go in and challenge each other and fight right. for money. So, And I kind of thought that was fun, these two competing forces trying to figure out how, what to do in, in this environment in order to make enough Latinum in order to buy the isolinium. So they both succeed. Tarka and Book capture a changeling who looks very similar to the changelings we see in Deep Space Nine. Right. Not exactly the same, but similar, who's been cheating. And Burnham and Owo, Owo gets into the ring and she's doing the fighting, which was really cool. And Owo wins and she wins on the third round. Did you see that it was a hustle? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, Absolutely, so did I. So it was clear it was a hustle. I, you know, I even said that to my spouse. He was like, well, "Why are they doing this?" I'm like, "Honey, it's a hustle." Yeah, she's making it look <laughs> like she's losing so that the odds are higher, so they can make more money. Right. So he was like, "Oh, okay." Yeah. So anyway, she wins. They get a lot of latinum, and the guy she's fighting figures out it's a hustle, and they try to take the latinum, but both Owo and Burnham knock him out, which is also kind of fun. Yeah. Thereby, Burnham's nickname with Haas is Right Hook. Whereas 
book's nickname with Haas is Glowworm. Right. Anyway, so they both win. And then Haas says, yeah, but you know what? I now have somebody else who's interested in Isolinium. So there's another party comes in interested in this. And so they decide to have this poker game. Winner takes all for the Isolinium. And then comes the most unbelievably boring, long sequence. Oh, (laughs) my God. And I said to my spouse at the time, this is boring because we don't actually know how this game is played. So they're laying down these cards yeah, like they have some kind of, of significance, but we as the viewer have no, no clue idea. what that significance is because, you know, okay. <laughs> so there's no tension, no nothing. We have no idea if anyone's winning, losing, nothing because we don't know how the game is played. And therefore all these slow scenes of cards being laid out and chips being thrown in, whatever. <laughs> So I think they could have cut that very, very short. Oh, God, yes. So what happened before the game started is that Burnham suggested that everybody get a chance to look at the goods, the isolinium, before they start to confirm that it's, you know, exactly what it's supposed to be. And while the third party is out, who are a couple of members of the Orion Syndicate, Burnham says to Booker, we can't let the Orion Syndicate have the isolinium regardless of whether you and I get it. So let's do what we did on this planet together. And they start, like, doing signals to each other across the poker table. Yeah. And so then, out of frustration, the two Orion Syndicate people finally leave. One of them, he is rude. And so the Haas says at the beginning of the game, if you go Armis on us, I'm going to put you in the ocean. You know, do you know who Armis is? <laughs> do you remember the name Armis? No. That's the slime monster that killed Lieutenant Yar in the original series. Was it? Oh, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't re- even remember the name. Pretty sure. You know, my memory isn't what it used no, to be, it- but... It could be. I Like I said, I don't remember names of aliens. I don't remember names of yeah. episodes. I just watch it to watch it. I don't remember names of like dilithium or you know, anything yeah. like that. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> like, so, and so. that's what you have. Your, and your skills, which are great, <laughs> is that you recognize actors from other shows and you can draw all these wonderful connections. Whereas I'm like totally face blind. And I'm like, oh, really? Hmm, okay. <laughs> or I never watch the other shows. But anyway, so. Um, that was a wonderful reference. Uh, the other reference at the very beginning that I wrote down was the Eisenberg class shuttles. Did you hear? Did you hear that? Yes. So, and that I, was a reference to or an homage to Aaron Eisenberg, right. who we lost. Was it last year or the year before? It was before COVID. I, I don't know why I remember that, but it was before COVID. Very sad. Very sad. Anyway, so I loved that. I, I put a big heart on my notes next to that because I loved that, the Eisenberg class shuttles. Yeah. So finally, we've got down to just Burnham and Book at the poker table. And Book throws all his chips in the middle. And then Burnham says, I'm all in. And she throws all her chips in the middle. And she has a flush. No, she has a straight. Is that right? But then Book has a flush with face cards that are meaningless to us because we don't know what they are. (laughs) So he wins. And so it looks like, you know, all of this that she's gone through and Owo's gone through is a waste of time. We should mention that while they're playing this, we get a wonderful scene with Owo and Tarka. This is the one we were talking about earlier where, you know, he essentially says something like, you know, I'm going to paraphrase. You hate me because I did this. And she says, I'm sure you have really good reasons, but I don't think you realize how bad an impact this can have. And he was like, well, you know, I'm doing it for a reason. She says, is it because somebody you lost? I mean, she was really very, very thoughtful and very sharp in how she kind of asked questions that were honest and compassionate, but still very direct yeah she was very insightful with him she very she read him like a book yeah 
So it was really good. And of course, she pegged it. He lost somebody. Which, how does that track with the story he told Book about the scientist who went off to the other world that they chose? Well, you know, I guess in a way you could say he lost somebody if that story is true. It, it didn't but, feel right. But when he was telling it, I almost felt like whoever this person was talking about was killed. Yeah, I and so. then he he said something about him finding a parallel universe. So I don't know if he's making that up in his head, if he kind of in his head knows this guy is probably dead, but he wants to believe that he's in some parallel universe. You know, I don't know. There is a there is an inconsistency here that's kind of just not, I don't know. It's just inconsistent. Right. Because his response to Owo was one of grief. Yes. And pain. And if his friend was alive in this parallel universe, I keep forgetting it's a parallel universe, then he wouldn't be experiencing grief and pain. But his right. friend is, if his friend is dead, then why does he need the energy to go there? Well, who knows? That's what I mean. I think that's what I'm talking that's about, what I, that inconsistency. Because if he wants to go there to avenge his friend, then it wouldn't be grief and pain he would be right. dealing with. It would be just anger. Right. That's what I'm saying, though. Yeah. When he first told the story to Book, when he was telling the story, I was thinking that his partner died. That's what the point I thought he was going to make. Because that's what it felt like. It felt like he was grieving he lost someone. But then he brought up the parallel universe. So I got the impression that he has no proof that his friend is dead or whoever this is. But he knows it. He knows it. But he's convinced himself that he's not dead and he's gone to a parallel universe. So as not to admit to himself that this guy is probably dead. What if all of this is just a bunch of hooey? It could be too, yes. And his friend actually died at the hand of the Emerald Chain, and he wants to destroy what's re- what remains of the Emerald Chain. And that could be. And he told Book this lie because he knows, you know, as a, you know, Quajanian yeah. and an empath and a person who values life, he's not going to help this guy get the isolinium so that he can make a bomb to destroy another species. That would be the only thing that helps all of these kind of push these, well, it's not the only thing, but it would be an explanation that kind of helps put these pieces together. I don't know. Weird. Yeah, because his reaction to Owo was of, like you said, grief, but I think it's a, a little bit of revenge. Which you know. doesn't make sense if this guy's alive in a parallel universe, but does make sense if he's dead, like e- you think. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And like I said, the first time he told the story, the, I thought the story was leading to this guy died. They killed this yeah. guy, but then he threw in the parallel universe. Is he delusional and just hoping that his friend is not dead? Or does he know his friend is dead and this is all about revenge? Yeah, and and he doesn't appear to have any kind of delusional characteristics. So he certainly has layers. Yeah. So thank you to Obo for peeling off some of those layers for us so we yeah. can see what's going on. Anyway, so Burnham loses the poker game and Haas gives the isolinium to Book. And it seems like it's a complete failure. And then she gets back and the president really like, is really mad at her because A, she interacted with Book. B, why didn't she arrest them? C, well, this was just a complete waste of time. And Burnham's like, well, no. And Vance was great here. She's outside of Federation territory. She has no weapons and no authority. She can't do that. Right. Pull them in. So that was out of her hands. And that was upholding Federation mores. So yay for that. And then Burnham was like, I was there to get star charts. I got the star charts. And O-Book happened to be there. And did I expect him to be there? Yeah, I did. So I tried to stop him and tried to do the best I could under the circumstances to, to get this to work out. And then thirdly, oh, by the way, I placed a tracker on the isolinium when I was examining it after I suggested that we all get a chance to examine it. And so now we know exactly where they are. Right. 
<laughs> and that was actually a very Kirk-like pulling it all out at the end kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of appreciated that. And that was it. That was the episode. Yeah. And so pretty much they say that the number one mission is to stop Book. So pretty much, like I said in the last episode, Discovery is going to have to waste their time going after Book. Yes. Instead of... Because, yeah. Yes. Instead of going to meet 10C or whatever. Yes. Oh, well, maybe that'll happen really fast and we can turn around and go see a Species 10C really fast. Yeah, I hope this doesn't go the rest of the season. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. This one went really fast. And that's one of the things I liked about this episode. It kept twisting in ways that I wasn't expecting. And I really appreciated that. And, you know, we know where Species 10C is now. We know how to get there. It may happen really quickly. Yeah, I hope so. So I'm hoping for that, yeah. So one of the things that I really liked about this episode was something that Vance said to Burnham when he gave her permission to go chase down Book at the same time she was getting the star charts, and that was that she was a creative officer. And I really liked that phrase. What did you think of that? You know, I was paying more attention to the fact that he was doing the same thing the president did, and he even brought it up. He even said to use a page yeah. from the president i heard that i didn't i didn't think about it oh okay but i, I get what you're saying so on a scale of uh one to ten what would you give this episode mm, i'll give it a seven. Oh gosh really i gave it a 10 out of 10 no i think it was in my opinion was one of the best episodes we've had like i said i went but... into it with a bad attitude so. <laughs> and that's okay there are times i go into bad, with yeah, a bad attitude so, so. But then there was the yeah. Culver part, who is losing his mind because of what Book did. And yeah. it's a little God complexy. I know that's not a word, on yeah. his part. No, that's a good one. You know, how could he possibly think he's responsible for everything everybody does on the ship? Yeah, thank you for raising that, because we that was a very small scene, and I had forgotten about it. Yeah, you're right. The only thing I can tell you is that I kind of, sort of, understand. <laughs> I'm an oldest sibling. Yeah. So I'm accustomed to having a lot of responsibilities on my shoulders. And so I was like, oh, I totally relate to this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so am I, but. I'm not saying it's right, but it's yeah. definitely relatable to me. Yeah. I so, mean, but you're right. Somehow he thinks that it was his fault that Book ran off. And so he needs to learn the lesson of, you know, you could do the best that you can and you're still not responsible for other people's behavior. They're responsible for their own behavior. Right. If Burnham couldn't see that coming he wouldn't have seen that coming right so that was a little much right there well i'm hoping it'll ease down again i was grateful that was another opportunity where it could have gone full soap opera and it didn't yeah it was a very short scene and they kept it very restrained right so i was very appreciative of that (laughs) and i'm still kind of hoping that throwing that in there for really no reason whatsoever this means that gray will come back to help with those responsibilities and that you know this may be some closure for that particular character arc. Though it's, I don't know, it's not very um, satisfying closure. So I would prefer to see some episode where Culber steps in and, you know, shows what he's learned in dealing with, you know, the next challenges. But we'll see what happens. Are you saying that he's going to give up his duties as... No, I'm talking about in a future episode where we have a character who's (laughs) behaving in a way that even after Culber helped still isn't doing what needs to be done that Culver's able to take that step back and we see that oh okay i see what you're saying all right well very good is there anything else that we need to talk about this episode i don't think so i think we hit everything all right cool well we invite our listeners to join us next time when we watch star trek discovery season four episode nine which as of right now i don't think we have a name for it yet do we i didn't look i forgot to look i have no idea i don't think we've got one yet we'll figure that out next week and we invite our listeners to join us when we discuss episode nine next time see you then see you then you can continue exploring the universe with moms going boldly by following us on facebook 
at facebook.com slash moms going boldly and on twitter at moms going boldly the music used on moms going boldly is without limits by ross bugden music on twitter at ross bugden licensed under a creative commons attribution license creativecommons.org you can listen to moms going boldly on podbean spotify google Podcasts, stitcher and player fm And we're now also available on Apple Podcasts. Transfer complete.